Guys, I got the distinct privilege of introducing a really good friend of mine. His name is Kevin Phillips. And uh, for months now, we've been talking about the compassion kits, and you guys have been packing those. Uh, this is Kevin's ministry uh, that he's involved in. And by the way, you can be seated. Um, and uh, he's going to be coming out, and he's going to be speaking. Now, I want to say real quick, when he comes out, uh, my number is going to be on the screen. Uh, so I really would encourage you guys to text your questions in uh, for Kevin. Uh, he lives over in Dubai, over the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and um, he ministers to Muslims. And one of the reasons why I had him come is because most of our church is military and we've been fighting Muslims. So um, this is one of those weeks that we're going to talk about a fairly sensitive issue. We're going to be talking about Islam and, and what do we do with our enemies and how do we reach out to them. And I know many of you men and women, uh, you have some questions about this. So I really would encourage you as Kevin comes out to go ahead and start texting those questions at the end. We're going to unpack that. So without further ado, let's welcome Kevin Phillips. Hi, my name's Kevin Phillips. I'm the president of the For All Mankind movement. You know, our mission is to reach, equip, and send the immigrant laborers of the Middle East back to their home countries to be missionaries to their own people. My wife and I moved there five years ago, and it was always our vision to see these people engaged in a way that they could hear, understand, be obedient to God's word, and then go and share it with others. That vision has become a reality over these last five years as we're seeing people going back now to their home countries of South Asia, the Middle East, and Central Asia, taking what they have received and bringing that back to their family, their village, and even their state. One of these that we're working with is a man named Kamaljeet Singh. I met him five years ago right in the labor camps. As we worked together over those years, we started to see in Kamala a vision that was greater than just for sharing with his family, greater than just for bringing to his village. It was a vision to bring the gospel back to his people, to his state. He joined our team, was able to quit his job in the labor camps, and now back as an ambassador for Christ in the heart of Punjab. We're seeking now to raise up a thousand leaders all across the state and engage them with the loving gift of compassion kits and the compelling message of the gospel to see a great breakthrough of good news impacting the heart of that state. We want to invite you now to join us in what we're calling the Heart for Punjab Statewide Compassion Kit Campaign. We're sending 30,000 compassion kits into that state simultaneously, conducting 616 evangelistic outreaches through our story groups and house churches just in those eight days. And Lord willing, we'll get to share the gospel with 60,000 people over those two weeks. Your church is sending people in August 2014, and we want to ask you to join us and be part of the Heart for Punjab Statewide Compassion Kids campaign. Imagine you 
getting your hands around a real church planting movement. Imagine you getting the dust of that end in earth on your feet as you carry the gospel message into that land of utter darkness. Imagine you standing before 100 to 300 people sharing your testimony and special Bible stories designed to touch the heart of Punjabi people. Imagine you calling them to Christ and seeing a great harvest coming in as we reach out to the heart of Punjab. Good looking dude. Wow, where'd they find that guy? My wife's whistling. That's awesome. Can't beat that. All right. Hey, I'm a, where are you going after the service? <laughs> hey, good to see you this morning. Is it still morning time? I feel like I've been here all day. Is it still morning time out there? Good to see you. You know, it's 2006 when Chris and Kim and my wife and I were sitting at a real cool restaurant in Pennsylvania and they began to talk about the idea of what is now one church. They began to talk about this crazy place of Clarksville, Tennessee. And I said, where? You know, Clark, Clarksville, Tennessee. They said, yeah, and it's a real neat mixture of people with a large military community and a lot of people coming in and out and a great void of a need of people to come and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so now to be here today, all these years later, be worshiping with you guys, be bringing some truth your way and partnering up with you guys here and with our work back in the Middle East and in South Asia, man, this thrills my heart, and there's no better place we'd rather be than right here with you guys this morning, building up this partnership and uh, celebrating what God's doing through your church. So, uh, but saying that, I do have something I'd like to share with you today. Uh, and I'm back here praying, and I'm asking God, Lord, would you just give me the ability and the privilege and, and allow truth to go forth from my life today in such a way that something good from you, some blessing from you can come to somebody that's in the audience this morning. So guys, I'm an action-oriented guy. I mean, that is just the way I roll. When I get up in the morning, I mean, I'm dancing, singing. It's my job to wake the kids up and get them going. I mean, I hit the ground running every day. And when I speak or communicate, it kind of comes out like that. It's a bit action-oriented. So I've got two suggestions for you. You can take whichever one you want. One is you can strap your seatbelt on, all right, and lean back because it's about to come, all right? Or if you're daring, if you're like me, you can unleash that seatbelt, all right, roll the windows down, let the wind blow in your hair, get the sunroof open, slide up to the edge of your chair, crack your knuckles, and lean into this thing, man, and take everything that's about to come your way, all right? And I hope you're that lean in up to the front of the seat of your chair kind of person, all right? Because that, that's how I like to roll. See, my wife, she's all geared up into it, hair slicked back, licking her lips. I mean, she's ready to go. She's, she's down for this thing. You know, we all face difficulties in life. And what a great little uh, series we're looking at, not actually Jesus. When I look back on my life growing up in Northwest Arkansas, I think back to so many ways that I lived my life through a filter of my father's rowdy reputation when he was in high school in the same town I grew up in. And I look back and, and I think of how, the, how my worldview was being shaped by how I could live up to my party animal, womanizing, tough guy uncle 
that I could really live up to and try to be like him and emulate him and walk like him and talk like him and be as bad as he was. And if I could somehow live up to my father's old rowdy reputation and be as cool as my uncle, it's kind of shaped my worldview and led me down a negative path. You know, like a lot of us, if you had the opportunity to be up here instead of me, we all have stories we can tell about difficulties we faced in life. And today I'd like to share with you a little bit about mine. I grew up in a broken home several times over. My mother gave birth to me when she was just 20 days, 16 years old. We're about 16 years and 20 days apart in age. Not that that's bad in itself, not that you can't overcome that, but being raised by a teenage mother who faced a lot of difficulties and struggles in life, it began to put a uh, negative effect on my life. And as she spiraled downhill into the lifestyle she was living, she took me all the way with her in that journey. And all the heartaches and all the bumps and all the bruises that she went through, I just followed right along. Little Kevin from, you know, one years old to five years old to 13 years old till finally at 16, 17, I just had enough, you know, and was ready to get out and start living my own life. And when I look back on some of the scars in my life, it it really goes back to a particular individual that came into our family. My mother had been married several times by the time I was five years old. And one of her husbands particularly eh, was a very negative, violent type person. And when you grow up in a home, maybe some of you did, where there's lots of violence, when there's lots of negativity around, it starts to impact your heart, right? It starts to warp your mind and how you see the world and you begin to change in a lot of ways. And I began to notice at a very young age, looking back now, I realized that my life was filled with anger. And every chance I could, I acted out violently to just express this hurt that was deep in my heart that was warping me and twisting me. And even by the time I was five, eight years old, there was a callousness that was growing on my heart that caused me to resist the love of my mother to push everyone around me away and just act out as violently and as ornery and as rowdy as I could. So by the time I got in the ninth grade, I had a .8 grade average. Was getting high on small light drugs about three times a day, just doing everything to try to numb that pain that was in me about the struggles and the difficulties and abuses that had come my way. Not because of anything I had done wrong, but what, I'd suffered at the hands of other people through wrongs that were done to me. You know, when you're raised by a young mother who's struggling to hold her life together herself, a lot of neglect can come your way. And you get left with people, and you get left in circumstances where harm comes to you. And it starts to cause your heart sometimes to feel like a chunk of ice. You begin to push people away. You began to act out in different regard. And my life was spiraling downhill and all of a sudden this man comes into our life. And all my life from the time he entered in to the, to the time I was 16, 17, 18 years old, in a very naive, stupid way, I swore that I would end the life of this man. Now, listen to me closely. That's stupid to talk about. That's very naive language and thinking from a dumb, messed up teenage kid. But that was the filter of my life. That was the hatred that I'd grown as I'd watched this man beat my mother several times over. 
I watched him one time on a holiday take a kitchen steak knife out of the drawer and shred every piece of clothing that my mother had in her home to where she had nothing to wear the next day. That abuse not only went to my mother, but went to me. And then I had a little sister come from this man, and he abandoned her when she was three years old. Left me and my mother. Left us destitute with nothing and no one. And the hatred that filled up in my heart was directed at this man through this pain. And my experiences, they led me to harden my heart and express a limited love, not only to myself and not only to God, but to everyone around me. As if Jesus had given me a license to only love those who would love me back. You ever felt like that? Hey, I'm withholding love and I only love those who will love me back. I was living my life as, as if my worldview allowed me and Jesus gave me license to forgive, but never forget. You ever felt like that? You ever found yourself right there? Hey man, I forgive, but I'll never forget it. As if Jesus had given me a license, year by year, my heart hardened the callous, the ice, the anger, the rebellion, as if Jesus had given me a license to believe that God might love this man, God might love those people in your life, but I never will. As if Jesus had said it, that he'd given us this license, and what a crazy contrast that is to what Jesus actually says. Just listen to this. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says this, have you ever heard that it said, love your neighbor but hate your enemy? But I tell you this, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But you love those who, but if you love those who love you, what reward will you get don't even those who live in rebellion toward God do these things? If you only greet your brothers, what are you doing more than anybody else? Don't even those who live as if there's no God do that? But I have a greater desire for you, Jesus said, to be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Guys, today I wanna talk to you about something. It's a contrast to how many of us have been living our lives. And I want to talk to you today about what I'm calling the audacity of limited love. You see, because of the experience I'd faced in my life, because of the negative things that, that had happened to me, because of the, the examples that have been given for me in my life, I lived with the audacity of accepting and wanting and desiring all the love that God could give to me but then expressing that to others in a limited, selfishly dealed out fashion. Hey, I'll give you love. Now, I want all of God's love. I want him to forgive all of my sins, but I'm only gonna forgive you of the things that I deem you need to be forgiven of. Hey, I want all of God's love. I want all of his acceptance for me. I, I don't want him to leave me out when he gives that great call, but you know what? I don't know if I'm gonna extend the same back out to you. Hey, listen, I want Jesus to forgive me. I want him to take my sin and it's throw it as far this way is from this way. But you know what? I'll give you just that much slack until I hold it all against you one more time. And guys, today I want to talk about how I broke free of that 
how God changed my heart from the audacity of wanting it and receiving it all for God, but being selfish and offering limited love for others. And you know what? It started when I saw that stepfather that I mentioned 15 years later, and God began to teach me how to break free from the audacity of limited love. This man, he owed child support for my sister. He didn't pay it for 10, 12 years, so finally he was arrested in Georgia, extradited back to Arkansas, placed in the county jail. I happened to be in town. I, now I'm a minister. Brooke and I are married. We're traveling all over the world, preaching the gospel, doing that kind of stuff. But I didn't know it, but God knew it. There was a little space I had reserved of hate and limited love for this individual that was impacting and affecting my whole life. And as I realized this man was in town, I had all kinds of things I'd built up that I wanted to say to this person, you know what I mean? I mean, all kinds of hateful, mean, breaking down, you know, just, just making him feel as low, as low as he can, that I wanted to look this man in the eyes, and I wanted as a man now, not an eight-year-old boy for him to beat up, but a man now, I wanted to look him in the eye and set him straight. All of a sudden, I went up to the jail, and my best friend's dad was the sheriff, so we were able to get in, and it was after hours and off the books, and, you know, I'm contemplating, do I ask to meet in the waiting room with the bulletproof glass, or do I kind of ask if we can't get a little time in a private room? You know what I mean? It's just those dumb things that you think about. Yeah. We chose the bulletproof glass, and we go in there, and you know, I don't know what this guy looks like. You know, I don't know anything about him. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say. I'm angry inside. I'm hurt. Brooke's waiting out in the car. And I'm just, what am I going to say to this guy? And all of a sudden, they bring the dude in. He's old, bald, shriveled. I'm bigger than him now. I'm more accomplished than he is. My life is, is bright and brilliant for a future. His life is crashing to a zero. And everything that I wanted to say to him, all the ways I wanted to break him down, it vanished. And the love that God had sown in my heart a few years, just a few years back before that, that had revolutionized my life, that had changed my life, that had melted that icy heart, that had rubbed that callus away and massaged it out, that had changed me and given me a capacity to love those who don't love me saw this man and instead of speaking hate and spitting venom into his face I reached into my wallet and back in those I'm a front pocket wallet guy now but back in those days I had that George Costanza wallet you know what I'm talking about with that big xylophone thing of pictures we had in the 90s right it's my mother it's my wife it's my grandma it's my dog you know had all those pictures and I pulled out a picture of my sister his daughter I took it out and I slapped it upon the glass of that prison, that jail cell. And I said, this is your daughter that you haven't seen since she was three years old. She's 17 now. She loves you and she wants nothing more than to have you in her life. I said, I'm going to leave this with the jailer. But you can have it. He's crying. He's weeping. And I said, listen. We're not going to shoot pool, right? We're not, we're not going to get together for Thanksgiving. But I want you to know something. In here where it really matters, I forgive you. 
I forgive you of the abuse. I forgive you of the neglect. I forgive you of the violence against my mother. I forgive you in here. And I meant it. I was sincere about it. Man, I walked out of that jail as free and light as any guy you've ever seen. I mean, I was like moonwalking back to the car. You know what I mean? I was like, I mean, I got back there. It was awesome. Brooke's like, what happened? Well, you know, I was set free, right? I had broken free of the chains of unlimited love. God had restored pieces of my heart that I didn't even know were broken, that needed mending. Man, I was set free. And I'd like to tell you that this guy, his life was changed. I'd like to tell you that my act of forgiveness and my act of compassion and my act of grace toward him changed his heart and revolutionized his mind. And he walked out of there a new man and he loved his daughter and he changed his ways. But you know what? He got out of there. He lied to my mother. He neglected his daughter. He broke her down, took advantage of her one last time, and hasn't spoken to her in 20 years. Nothing changed with him, but everything changed with me. Everything changed. And today, I don't know what has happened to you. I don't know where you have come. I don't know the scars that have been applied to your life. I don't know where you are in your expression of receiving love and giving love, but if you are trapped in the lie of the audacity of giving limited love, today I want to talk to you about how you can break free of that, how your life can be changed just like he brought into my life. And man, it's a whole other way of seeing the world. It's a whole other way of waking up in the morning to receive it and be able to express it. You know, there's a guy in the Bible, he came to the point of this conviction as well. His name was Peter. And I want to tell you just a little bit about his story. In our work in Dubai, we're all about storytelling. 80% of the people we work with are illiterate in the labor camps of the Middle East, but all of them would prefer to hear stories when it comes to matters of the heart. And I found that a lot of us folks are the same way. And we think about a guy who had a life change and, and coming from this Bible, it's a guy named Peter. You know, Peter had grew up in a religious system and in a culture that kind of said, we're better than everybody else. He grew up in a culture that had a religious system that taught them and bred in them that we are the chosen people of God. Our religious system, our law set us apart from all the other godless people around us. We're better than them. They are dogs beneath our feet and we treat them like that when we encounter them. If we see one of them on the road, abused and broken, we pass by and look the other way. We're the chosen ones. We're better. We look down our nose at them. Now, not everything about his culture was bad, and not everything about his religious system was evil, but there are a lot of things that over the years had been twisted and misinterpreted and misunderstood by the people, and it created this weird culture and religious system of the time. Jesus showed up and began to correct that, and Peter started following Jesus. But still, he held on to this idea and worldview, the lens with which he saw the world, of giving unlimited or giving limited love toward others. Well, one day, while Peter was waiting to get his lunch, he was on top of a house. Jesus had already died on the cross, he'd already been raised from the dead. He'd already ascended into heaven. He's now at the right hand of God. Peter's a follower of Jesus. He's trusting in him. He's following him. But there's some things that still hasn't changed in his life. 
And while he's waiting for his lunch, he's hungry, he's on the roof of a home back 2,000 years ago in the Mediterranean area, and he's up there, he's waiting, he's praying, and he had a vision. Now, before he had this vision, let me tell you what was happening. There was a military officer at that time who was a man who feared God. He gave money to the poor, he prayed often, he was actually trying to please God, and God took note of this. And he sent an angel to speak to this guy named Cornelius, this military officer, and he said, listen, God has heard your prayers, he has seen your gracious acts, and he wants to bring you a message of how your life can be set free by the life and power of Jesus. He said, I want you to send some people and go on an expedition, find a guy named Peter, and bring him back here. Cornelius called his servants, sent them out, told them what the angel had said, and they went in search for Peter. And as they were coming to where Peter was staying, this is the vision that Peter had. Now remember, this man is a bit prejudiced. This man lives with great bias. He's been conditioned by his culture that he is superior in many other ways, not to go into the home of these other people, not to associate with them, not to eat with them, have anything to do with them in any way. And while he's praying, he has a vision. As if something like this rug came down from the sky. And on this rug, there were all kinds of animals. Let's take a look at the verse on the screen. I'll just kind of put it up there for us real quick. All kinds of stuff. So there you see. He became hungry and he was desiring to eat. Let's keep going. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky opened up. The sheet started coming down, lowered from its four corners. And there were all kinds of four-footed animals, crawling creatures, and all the birds of the air. And a voice came to Peter and said this, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. And look what Peter says, and this is where we get to. Look what Peter says. By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. The voice came again, and the vision came again. And again, and this is what he says. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Another translation of that says, what God has made clean, you should not call unclean. Now guys, I really want you to grab, let's just leave that up there for a little bit. I want you to grab hold of this. When these words were spoken by the Lord to Peter, this was revolutionary to him. His whole culture, his religious upbringing, everything about him, what his parents had taught him, what his friends were doing, said, we don't associate with them. We don't give any mind to them. But God said, listen, what I've made clean, don't you say is unclean. And today, guys, we want to talk about the audacity of giving limited love, of being willing to receive it, but not being able to give it. You know, just like Peter, I had that same conviction that came into my life. I wish I could take you back. I wish I was prepared enough to have got this video and brought it. But I remember the time I, I went home, I was out preaching. Brooke and I were doing our thing. And I came back to my mother's house for just a visit. And while she was there, my mom loves to break out the home videos. Didn't you have a mother like that? Let's get out the home videos. Oh, let's watch them, you know. It's hours and hours of nothing. And in two seconds, something funny. You know, anybody have a mother like that? You know what I mean? And back then is when we had that big old v, VHS one, you know what I mean? It was about yay big, you know, and you had to walk it around like that. It had a cable on it. It took two people to work. It was like a whole crew working that thing. 
And my mom wanted to leave it up all Thanksgiving. Well, just sit in here, just act normal now, act normal. We're all like, okay, what's going on? You know, but I remember one time she had the big camera out. I was 16, 17 years old. I was working at a grocery store. I came home to my mother's house and Man, I get in there, I got my shirt off, I got my mullet working real good, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm swearing like a sailor in there, you know? 16 years old in my mother's house, I'm cussing up a storm, and the next thing I know, I'm giving the bird to the camera, you know? And they're in my mother's house, and just living like a hooligan, you know what I mean? And then, I'm like, my wife's like, this was you? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that was me. And, you know, and then she's like, all this stuff, and then I start using racial slurs about the Asians, the Vietnamese people that had came into the grocery store that day. And I'm making fun of how they talk, and I'm making fun of how they look, and I'm doing all kinds of hideous things. And it takes a lot for me to blush. I'm just not the kind of guy that, that gets embarrassed about things. But when I caught a glimpse of my young, rebellious, prejudiced, biased, self-centered person, when I caught a glimpse of that, I blushed. I, mean, I was embarrassed at my old self and realized what kind of person was I who was willing to take God's love? But the callousness of my heart, the iciness in my chest caused me to withhold that love from so many. And guys, I wanna tell you, that's not the kind of person I am today. Man, today there is a love in my heart, not only for those who love me, but for all people. And that's what caused us to be able to leave the United States of America and for my wife and I to pack up our three beautiful little girls, move over to the Middle East five years ago, give away everything that we own. Now listen, I didn't say sell it. We gave everything we owned away. You say, you mean like your old junk? I mean the cars in the driveway, the clothes in the closets, the refrigerators, the TVs, the art on the walls. We gave everything we owned to nine families that were less privileged than us in our church gave away the cars in the driveway. We slept on blow-up mattresses that night, felt as free as we've ever felt in our life. We packed up the rest of the little junk we had, moved over to the Middle East, not knowing if we were gonna be successful or fall flat on our face, but there was a love that was burning in our heart that Jesus had given to us and we needed to give to others and those people from Nepal, India, Afghanistan, Pakistan, China, the Middle East, North Africa, Southeast Africa, all over the world that were crashing into that place, that is where they were found and that is where we were going because no longer would we accept it from God and withhold love, we would give it as freely as we had received it because of the change that had been brought in my heart. And I wanna share that with you. You say, KP, what's the point, man? Are we just listening to you rant and rave? Are we just up here watching you flip your arms all around? I mean, what, what's the deal? What do, what do you want from us today? Man, I'm just hoping that you might catch the way and the conviction of freedom from the audacity of limited love. Are you ready for it? Are you willing to reach out and catch it, be obedient to it, and put it into action when you leave this place? Listen, I wanna share with you three convictions. We're gonna hit them pretty quick, so be ready to grab them. Three convictions of what it means to leave and be set free from the audacity of limited love. I didn't get these out of a book. I didn't steal these from some pastor somewhere. These are three convictions that God used to set me free on the inside, to melt the ice, to remove the callus, 
to let my heart be raw and opened up to freely give as I have freely received. And the first conviction I want to share with you is this, that God's word is true. It's true. You know, I had to expose my thinking, my bias, my prejudice, my experience, my conditioning to the overarching and transcendent teaching of Jesus to break this chain of hate and violence in my own life. I had to expose myself to the teachings of the true word of God. Let's take a look at the scripture real quick. From 2 Timothy 3.16, look what the Bible says about itself. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. Profitable for what? Well, for teaching, all right, showing you the right way. For reproof, showing you where you've gone wrong. For correction, showing us how to make it right. And for training in righteousness, training in how to take our feet and put them into the sandals of Jesus and follow him into that awesome path and direction that he has for our life. Why? For this purpose. So that the man of God, the person of God, may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Man, I remember when I was in basic training at Fort Leonard Wood, 1991. Man, I got in there, it was my first time to really be away from home, and I didn't have much of a home life, but I was still a little bit lonely. And the only thing I could hold on to, you know, when the drill sergeant's barking at you, he's making fun of you, he's making fun of your mother, you know, you're getting CS gas in your face in the gas chamber, and, you know, they're, they're scaring you to death. And I made up my mind, it, If I fail basic training, I will run away from home because I am not going through this and not getting out, man. I am gonna do it. So as I'm going through all that, you know, you're playing head games with you and the only thing I had to help me through was some chaplain dude gave me a little brown New Testament, right? Gideon's New Testament. And that was my saving grace. I kept that thing in my pocket. I'd get back behind my wall locker at night and I'd cry and read the Bible. (laughs) I was all messed up. And there I would. I read the whole New Testament in the 10 weeks I was at Fort Leonard Wood. But I want to be honest with you, I didn't do anything that it said. I just read it, all right? I didn't really do it. But a year and a half later, when this revolution of love and grace hit my heart and I became obedient to Jesus, I began to quote scriptures that I didn't even know that I knew. I began to live my way out from a biblical worldview, doing things I didn't even know a Christian was supposed to do. And now looking back, I see that it was God taking his word, hiding it deep in my life to flood out at a later date. Guys, I wanna tell you something. I'm not gonna quote you 50,000 scriptures and sayings of Jesus that are marked in red in my Bible. That would be like spoon-feeding a bunch of babies. But I don't see any babies out there today. I see grown, mature men and women. I see people that need not to be spoon-fed but to take the spoon up themselves and say, I will let my life through one church and through my own examination of this holy book and I will get in there and let my life and my thinking and my ways and my decisions be exposed to this truth and I will be obedient to what it says and that's how the breakthrough can come. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. We need to be exposed to the brilliant light of this truth and let it transform our hearts. Conviction number two, that we are to be lovers of people. Lovers of people. Listen, we all approach life through a lens of bias and prejudice. 
We've all been conditioned in some way of preference and hates and likes and dislikes. But for us who have claimed the name of Jesus, for us who have said we will put our feet in his footsteps and follow him, we must be lovers of people. And guys, I believe this. I believe that God has called us to a love that in ourselves we are not capable of doing. I want you to see a verse here. You say, KP, are you serious? God would ask us to do something that we're not capable of doing? You bet he does. He called you to salvation, didn't he? None of us are capable of doing that for ourselves. And on the other side of that salvation coin, he has called us now to live and to walk and to move in a love that we are not capable of outside of the gift that he puts in us. Look at this. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that he has given to us. Listen, when we talk about the giving of unlimited love, there's two things you need to know about that. One, you cannot give what you don't have. I wish I'd give this church a million dollars, man. I don't have a million dollars. Matter of fact, you can give me a million dollars. <laughs> but I can't give you anything that I don't have. And you say, KP, I want to love those people that don't love me. I want to love those Muslims that I've resisted so much in my deployments. I want to love those neighbors next to me that drive me nuts and take advantage of me. I want to love that abuser in my life. I want to love that neglector in my life. I want to love that abandoner in my life. I want to, but I just can't muster it up. I can do it for five minutes, but I can't do it for five months. I can do it for a second and a thought, but I can't live it where it's real and authentic in my life. Listen, guys, when we talk about loving others, it is not something that we muster up, but it comes when we are enabled to do it by yielding to God's Spirit. Have you ever heard the phrase being filled with God's Spirit? You know what that really means? That we recognize who's in control we recognize it's Jesus. We recognize he's in control over my life and I turn from the way I wanna live. I turn from my own bias, prejudice, and conditioning and now I let his truth be exposed, expose my own heart and I say I'll be obedient to that truth and I will yield to his prompting. I will yield to his truth. I will yield to his direction. I yield to God's spirits, not just mustering up some fake love and superficial love, but enabled by God's love poured in our heart and changing our lives. Chris and I were talking a few months ago. He said, man, we want to get in the mission field with you guys. But 80% of our church have had experience fighting the people that your mission's called to love. You know, every day we work with ethnic Pashtun and Pathan people groups from Afghanistan and Pakistan. We have a full team in Pakistan working there every day. And I want to share with you three things that gives my team the ability to have that kind of supernatural love for Muslim people. And the first thing is this, it's understanding who the real enemy is. 
see, Jesus said, we fight not against flesh and blood and bone, but against powers and spirits and principalities. And I want to give you this. I'm no expert on Islam, guys, but I have found a great sense of love in my life that gives me the ability to pack my family up to where every neighbor I have is an Arabic Muslim-speaking person. My kids go to school with more Muslims and Arabs than they do Westerners or anybody else. My daughter had a birthday party at her house. 16 girls came to stay the night. All of them were Muslim young ladies. And I realized this. If I'm going to love them as God is called to, I have to realize this, that I am to love Muslims while opposing and resisting Islam. See, we gotta draw the distinction between the people and the kingdom of this world. See, it goes like this. I love Muslims. I embrace Muslims, but I always stand in direct opposition against the kingdom of this world called Islam. I distinguish between the religious system and the people that are there, the heart of the person, the one that Jesus died for and wants to redeem. And we love Muslims while we resist Islam. And we understand the levels of jihad can really help. As it's found in the Quran and we speak about it, some of us have been face to face right across the fence from extremists. Know this, jihad can be defined this way. Just one more minute, that's all I need. Jihad defined like this. Community where a Muslim person is living, all of a sudden a pornography shop is opened up in that community. Jihad level one. The person begins to pray that that store would close down. And the person begins to wish this and desire this and pray against that and may even have a very calm conversation showing the store owner there's another way he could make a living. Jihad level two, the person prays against the establishment, has a more intense conversation, begins to picket outside, pornography kills, it's against the Quran, and then petitions the local government to have their license revoked and remove the establishment from the community. Jihad two. But jihad three is where the same individual moving into an extremist level of jihad, now takes a Maltov cocktail, throws it through the window of that establishment, burning it to the ground and killing everybody inside. But not every Muslim trapped in that system of belief exercises level three jihad. And the last thing I wanna share with you to help you today, to not only love Muslims but to extend it out is to know this. When you think about Islam and Muslims and radical Islam, here's a great association that someone taught me. What the KKK is to Christianity is what radical Islam is to most Muslims. Now just think about that for a second. What the KKK is to Christians. They have the cross, they call themselves Christians, just like we do, but every one of us in this room would say they don't represent us, they have nothing to do with us, we don't associate with them in any way, they're misguided and messed up. But what the KKK is to Christianity that we espouse is what radical Islam to most Muslim that you'll meet. This gives us the ability to love Muslims while resisting Islam. And I challenge you in this. Do the greatest thing that one person can do for another person. 
And that is know that you have accepted and received this love. And just as freely as you have received it, let it mend your broken heart. Let it smooth out and fill the broken places. And just as freely as you have received that love, take that and go and give it as freely as you have received it. In every way possible. And watch how your life is set free from the audacity of limited love. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the folks in this room. God, I pray right now that there be people here that would say, you know what, I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna dust that Bible off. I'm gonna take a deep look at it. I'm gonna keep coming to this church and, and let my life be exposed to the teachings of Jesus so that my bias, my prejudice, my conditioning, my thinking is exposed to the true teachings of Jesus where my heart and my life can be set free. And Lord, I pray that there'd be believers in this room that would open up their life and say, Lord, I wanna love like you've called me to love, but how can I do it until I receive that love and I'm touched by that love, I'm changed by that love. Lord, I pray that there'd be open arms and open hands. Lord, I pray that defensive walls would come down and let your love come rushing in. And Lord, let this church and the individuals be known as people who have freely received and freely give. Lord, let us love those who don't love us. Let us give to those who will never give back. And God, give room in our hearts for the unlovable, and those that we've seen as the enemy, let us see them as those you want to redeem, including those trapped in the false religion of Islam. Break our hearts. Fill us with your love. Give us a sense of vulnerability to you. Freely as we've received, let us freely give. And I thank you for this, God. Let it be in every life. In Jesus' name.